Thank you for coming Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm so excited to be here. In 2015, I founded the Queer Improv Show, Thank You for Coming Out, or TIFCO as we call it, and it is now one of the longest-running queer improv shows in New York City. During the show, our storytellers share their coming out stories, and then our improvisers bring them to life. Our podcast is a little different. We still have a storyteller share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And this episode is different because we are recording during the COVID-19 pandemic while physically distancing, which means we are not in the studio together and we are using Zoom audio. So the quality might be a little bit different than what you're used to, but we are all doing the best we can with what we have. And I am super duper excited about our guest uh, that we have with us here today. Tani Lara, she, her pronouns, is a bisexual NYC-based writer and podcaster who covers all things sex, sobriety, and rock and roll. Her words are published in Playboy, Men's Health, Huffington Post, and more. She's the co-host of Recovery Rocks, pod- of Recovery Rocks podcast and the founder of the Sobriety Party blog. Fun fact, she has a spicy taco dish named after her, La Chica Diabla, in her hometown of Waco, Texas. Tani, hello. What's up? Hey. How's it going? I'm good. I'm good. I'm so happy to be here. I'm really happy that you're here. We've, uh, you know, we had, I'm pretty sure we had something scheduled in March. Yes. Cancel it because of pandemic things. Uh, and then just scheduling and lives. But you know what? It's all in the past because we're here now. We did it. We're here. And that's all that matters. Yeah. And you know what? This is, I hope this doesn't sound funny, but like, how do we know each other? <laughs> like, I feel like we've been following each other on social media for a long time, but I can't, I can't pinpoint the origin of that. Do you know? Yes, I do. Um, and I was hoping you would bring this up. Oh, so good. we, I don't know if we've ever officially met, but we were at a, uh, so I used to volunteer for new alternatives. Oh, okay, great. And when y'all did the, um, that first improv show, Oh, craft uh, your truth. God. The craft yes. Your thing? Mm-hmm. yes, craft your truth. Yes. I, so I, I was there and I was just, you know, helping out and, I don't, we, if we met, it was in passing, but I was like, this work is amazing. I want to know all about this. And so then I followed you and um, then you graciously followed me back. And we've, I feel like that was probably, I mean, that was what, a couple years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I think the first craft your truth was uh, Martin Luther King day of 2018. Wow. Okay. So yeah, so three years go. ago. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what is time? <laughs> well, this is wow. a long time coming. Yeah. Uh, New Alternatives is such a great organization. Um, I always try and give them a plug and suggest people donate if you if you can, because it's, it's an incredible no- nonprofit that helps LGBT, LGBTQ um, youth, homeless youth in New York City. It's so important. So, so important. I love doing work with them. And Kate is amazing. And yes. the clients are all just so like kind and loving and just so special. I love them. I love them all. Um, cool. Well, I'm glad that we got that clear. Well, at least I got that cleared up. You were very clear. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Okay. So we all have multiple coming out stories. And so I would love to hear one of yours. Yes. And you know, Dubs, I feel like somewhat of like an imposter syndrome to be on this show because my coming out is so anticlimactic and I feel like boring, but (laughs) maybe, (laughs) um, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't qualify it as that. I should just talk, but yeah. Um, I, I'm so lucky that I have a, a gay aunt and a gay uncle. And it's just, I've grown up around them knowing that that's just a thing to be. It's just, there's many, there's many ways to live your life and that's one of them. So it was, you know, I'm very lucky that, you know, my mother is very accepting of the LG, not just accepting, but like loving uh, to the LGBT community. Um, and, you know, I, I was raised, uh, she raised me as a feminist and, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky with that. And um, so I'd never had like a official coming out. I just let myself explore my sexuality. And um, I just, but I, I, I remember like this turning point of being 14 years old and seeing the music video for Again by Lenny Kravitz and seeing him and Gina Gershon and that that was the first moment where I was like wait I'm attracted to both of these people and I'm I didn't I wasn't like ashamed of it or anything it was just like both these people are hot and like period (laughs) that's it and um yeah so it's I I guess the so yeah there's not really like a big coming out but I there was one conversation I had with my mom maybe five years ago where I told her, I was like, I just want you to know that I've, I've dated both men and women. And she's like, she was like, okay, well, like, are you dating an, a woman right now? And I was like, no, but I haven't in, in the past. And, and she's like, well, that's weird. And, and I was like, that's not weird. And I got really defensive. She goes, no, like, it's weird that you're just like telling me this when you're not like really seeing anyone. And I was like, I just wanted to share that with you. And she was like, okay, great. Like, and it was very, like I said, very anticlimactic and, um, she was supportive and she was like, you know, if you did bring home a woman, like it would, you know, it might be, I might struggle with it at first, but I love you and we're gonna, it's fine. It's not a big deal. So, um, I'm very grateful that I, that I had that experience. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. You brought up and brought in so many important like little nuggets that I want to talk about. Um, the first one, I mean, I think I'll work backwards because um, it seems, and I'm trying to figure out the right way to word this, but like one of the first things you said was like your mother like loves the LGBTQ community and like fully embraces it, uh, like the community raised you as a feminist. And then also said, I might struggle with this and this is weird. And so I'm wondering um, if you've thought about like that disconnect of like seeing her embrace the community in this way. And then when you shared that part of you, of yourself with her, that was her reaction. And did that cause it? What kind of feelings did that cause for you, if any? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I brought that up with her where I was like, you know, Aunt Carol is gay. Uncle Dave is gay. Like why, what's, what's the big deal? And, and she brought up Cher. (laughs) She brought up Cher and Chaz Okay. And she was like, you know, Cher has publicly struggled with Chaz transitioning. And, you know, that's just 
that's how I feel where like Cher loves Chaz and will always support Chaz, but it was, it was a struggle for the family. And I was like, okay, fair enough. Like, so (laughs) that was like, and she brought that up a lot where Mm. like, um, like we never, never turned into like a fight or anything, but like, it did bother me. Like there'd be times when I'd be like, oh, she's hot, like talking about someone and she would get kind of uncomfortable. And it's just like, but it's, yeah, there was a disconnect and there's not really a resolve there. Um, and the fact like my, my partner is a man and this is my person for my forever person. And so, I do think she's probably a little relieved to be completely honest. And that, Mm. that kind of stings. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. Yes, absolutely. And because, you know, um, I just like you, the the quote that you said that your mom said was you're that's weird. You're telling me this without dating anyone. Yeah. And so much of what people think is like, you can't know your sexuality. You can't know this part of you unless you've experienced in relationship to somebody else. And like, I really want to break that narrative of like, no, like you can innately know who you are, who you're attracted to without having had any kind of like sexual encounter with another person. And I think that's really hard for people to understand who haven't been challenged in that way against the norms, I guess. You know what I mean? It is. You're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's almost like there's this narrative, like of you have to sleep with someone of a different gender to activate your sexuality and that's not the case at all. It's just, it's attraction. It's very simple. And it's, I, I'm glad that you're wanting to break that narrative because I think that's really damaging. And I've, I've, since I'm, you know, I'm very open on Instagram about being bisexual. And I've, I had a woman reach out to me recently saying, you know, my daughter just told me, told me and my husband that she thinks she's bisexual. And my husband is trying to convince her that she's not because she hasn't even kissed a girl yet. And I said, ask your husband if he had to sleep with a woman before he knew he was attracted to women. And she goes, thank you. <laughs> yes. I want to know how that conversation went. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it's, you don't have to, there's no like activation or validation card. There's, you don't punch a card. It's just, it's literally just attraction. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, for, for some reason, when you said you were raised as a feminist, I just, the, this, I, I just want to know what that means to you. What does being a feminist mean to you? Yeah. Uh, and it's something that I've struggled with because I would never say that I was raised a feminist until the, the past couple of years. I was, you know, growing up, we're originally from the Northern California area. Then we relocated to Texas. So I would, Texas is home. So that presented its own set of struggles, you know, having mom with this Northern California hippie attitude, but I'm raised in a very conservative Waco, Texas, where, you know, um, there's tons of homophobic slurs and racial slurs. And so it's like at home, I'm, you know, we're watching if these walls could talk and we're, I'm learning about birth control, but then at school, um, people are saying, oh, that's so gay. So that was, that was a very confusing way to grow up. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I say my mom raised me as a feminist, she was raised to be ashamed of her body to like, she didn't even know she had a period. She didn't even know what a period was. Like she just 
got it and thought she was dying mm. <laughs> and like it was That's imagine terrifying. how scary i know yeah, um so everything was taboo in the house and so she wanted to raise me the opposite of that so from growing up like i always knew what my names of my body parts um like my mom actually got me my first vibrator <laughs> and <Yes. laughs> um she was like when you're ready to get on birth control you know let me know I'll, we'll we'll do it so it was always a very realistic approach. And I very, very much appreciated that. And I didn't realize it was political. I didn't realize that was political in any sort of way um, to have gay family members and to be taught about sex um, until, until recently. And it's, you know, I'm still, still learning all that. Mm, Yeah. And I think some people would say, how is, how is being taught about sex and gay family members political? And what would you say to that? I would say pretty much everything is political. Um, I mean, just being able to, like you being able to state your pronouns on your Instagram account is political. Um, You know, me being able to, you know, I can marry someone of my same gender and that is political because five years ago it was literally illegal yeah. So that is complete. That is, that is, that's politics. That's the law is politics. And I mean, minimum wage fighting for minimum wage is politics, <laughs> you know, like I think people don't realize that politics is everywhere. And um, that's that when I say like until recently, until recently, I, I had to leave my hometown and move to New York city to pursue writing and, you know, l- start this chapter of my life to really unpack all of that and learn I'm just, yeah, I'm going to end it there and learn. <laughs> yeah. Um, my parents moved to Harlingen, Texas, like six years ago, um, which is like a very, very small town in southern, southern, southern Texas. That's on, on the border, right? Pretty much. Yeah. Um, and it, so it's actually surprisingly blue and like all of their elections are blue and like dem- like democratic and um my mom went to this like benefit that supported the LGBTQ community at their like police station, um, which has its own set of like issues. But like, she's like, see, we're progressive. And I'm like, that's so interesting. And, and <laughs> just to find the like little pockets, especially in Texas. But, um, you know, I was, when I, when they first moved there, I was like scared to like be there and to like, cause I had like some shitty experiences because of where they live you have to fly through either Austin or Houston to get there. And I always have had the worst experiences in the Houston airport because I don't know why Houston specifically, but like people stare at me and like ask me rude questions and are rude to me. And um, so then I was like, what am I going to expect at this like small, small town? Uh, But people have actually been pretty nice and like I've never been harassed or had dirty looks. I still have my, my mom go to the bathroom with me, which just because I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen in a bathroom. Yeah. But now I'm thinking as testosterone is evolving my body, I might have to have my dad go with me <laughs> to the other <laughs> bath. because we don't have all gender restrooms everywhere. I always have to decide. But anyways, I digress. Texas, that's why I brought that up. But well, no, even you, like <laughs> you going to the bathroom is political. Right. Totally. It's and people don't don't equate that. I mean, we do because we're in the work, but like people that are, you know, in Harlingen and Waco don't, don't think about stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
so I want to, I'm trying to like tie this together because I, I took notes from like a lot of like the amazing like things that you've written and um, like your work. Um, and there's, I just, I didn't put where I found it, but I have in quotes, <laughs> not bisexual enough. Yeah. Um, and I, that idea of like not being enough. And then I want to tie that back just to like the first thing you said, which was I have imposter syndrome. And it's like, I think they're very, they are the one in the same, mm-hmm. I think of like people feel it. So how do you, how do you um, kind of move through and move past? Or is it kind of like a cycle of feeling not, not enough? It, I mean, that's exactly the link is correct. Like when I said imposter syndrome, I was like, I am not bisexual enough to be on this podcast. And it's something that logically I know is incorrect. Like you yeah. are, you are queer enough, like that's period. It, you, there's no qualifier. Um, but for some reason, I feel, I think a big part of it is because all of my long-term relationships have been with men. And it's the times that I've been with women, it's mostly just been like casual dating or sex. I've never had a romantic long-term connection with a woman. So I'm like, oh, well, if you were really bisexual, then you would, you know, just all, all of this internalized biphobia that I'm still unpacking has, um, it, it messes with us. Um, and it's, and I think, you know, a lot of it has been the lack of representation where, you know, on film, if, if a woman or film or TV, if a woman's bisexual, then that means like, oh, threesome. And it's, you know, how can being bisexual benefit a man and taking that out of the equation of like, what does bisexuality mean to me? Mm -hmm. And that's something I'm still exploring. Yeah. I think, I think that's great that you are like, that you're the framing for you is I'm still exploring because I think so much of another like I feel like we are fed so many different narratives that just fuck with everybody (laughs) and like the other narrative is like you should just know and then that's it and there's no no changing no anything it's like once you've figured it out then you're done that's like that might work for some people but that's not that's not the narrative for all people and like being open to as you move through the world and as you learn more about yourself like those things can change Absolutely. You don't have to, you you know, I'm like, I'm like, I'm 35. I should know this by now. And it's like, no, like, why do I think that? Like, there's just, there's so much not enoughness that has been, you know, that's a steady theme in my life. Um, And it's, you know, oh, just another way I could be mean to myself at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, I need to write that down so I can bring that back. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, Because I want to stay on this for just one more second. Um, Oh goodness. Um, the shoulds. I was talking to my, my, uh, my director at work and, and they were like, like sh- we, sh- we have to stop like shooting all over ourselves. And I was like, Oh, I love that. I'm 36 and I'm like, and I should X, Y, and mm-hmm. Z all of the time. And it's like, no, what is should that is ridiculous. Cause we are always setting ourselves up to fail if we're comparing ourselves to other people um and like there there I, I am still like in the thick of um like I just started testosterone in July and I quit drinking in June and so it's like these two huge 
huge things also while living in a pandemic. Um, I like still find myself struggling with those shoulds of like, I wish like I should have figured this out earlier. I wasted so much of my life and then like beating myself up another way to be mean to myself. And like, it's not fair. It's not fair. Cause at, at the time I was doing the best I could and I was, I was in survival mode and then I was able to figure out, okay, that's, let's see if we can break out of survival mode into like living. Mm, yeah. And, and so now here we are <laughs> and I'm still trying to figure it out. And I think we always will be. And I find that to be equally terrifying and comforting. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, so I want to, I want to shift gears to sobriety and drinking because um, I have um, even before, I mean, cause I, this is so new for me and this is like your day in day out, what you talk about, what you advocate about. Um, so just like wanting to talk to you about sobriety. I haven't, I haven't really in depth talked about it with, with too many other people. Um, so this feels exciting. Um, because so, and actually I wrote down another way to be mean to myself was actually thinking about drinking of like, I had this cycle and I don't know if this is resonant to you or if you've heard other people talk about this of like, I would wake up hungover as fuck, like just the worst. And like, I would have to cancel plans or whatever, like ruining my life day after day after day. And I would tell myself, you're so dumb. You're so stupid. Like, why do you keep doing that? Like, you're such a failure. Why do you keep fucking up? Just like to be better. And then just like, don't drink tonight. And then the nighttime would roll around and like my friends would be drinking or no one would be drinking. And I'm like, I'm going to drink and forget about that terrible self-talk that I just did in the morning and do it all over again. And it was a way to be mean to myself. It was a way to punish myself of like, you don't deserve anything more than this like cycle of pain and abuse to yourself. And I'm, I'm curious if that is like, what, I guess, just what do you think of that? (laughs) Yeah, that's, I mean, spot on. That's, that's it. I mean, that's the, uh, you know, whether you, you know, the, the word now is substance abuse. You know, it's where even in the DSM, they've changed. Like we're, we're trying, we're steering away from alcoholic, from addict, from addict. Um, It's just person with substance abuse or recovering from substance abuse. So I'm trying to get in the practice of saying that. So I'll probably slip up, but um, that's it. I mean, it's essentially, you know, it's self-destruction and there's so many ways to self-destruct. And, you know, I, I self, I self-medicated from age 14 to 29 is when I got sober Um, but it, I lived that exact same life that you're talking about where I was partying. I was a bartender for way too long and just lived that life. And I'd wake up hungover, just like you're saying, and then say, okay, I'm not going to drink today. And then, then it's all of a sudden it's 4am and I'm like doing blow off of a toilet seat in a random restaurant. Like, you know, who, like, it's just life is, uh, you, I had no control of my life at all. I was just you know, looking back, it's crystal clear. I was self-medicating. I was, you know, I was undiagnosed depression, anxiety, PTSD. And now I'm on meds and now I'm sober. And now I have a therapist, you know, now like we have these toolboxes, but at, when I was young, I didn't, I didn't, I wanted an instant fixed. 
an yeah. instant fix. You know, the, I, I tried therapy when I was 14 and it wasn't fast enough. Like I would have like, no, like, why would I go to therapy and talk about my problems when I could just get high and forget my problems? Mm. Yeah. That's um that idea of control. I've, I've like thought about that and written about this too, of like, as a, as a person who was aware of their, their sexuality, but was scared and ashamed of it and hid it. And someone who was, unconsciously struggling with gender, I felt like I had no control over my life. And so what I did to control it was drink because I could control how out of control I was getting. And I also loved blacking out because then it was like, like erasing thing, like life that I didn't want. I didn't want to be part of it. I didn't want to live in this way. So, and I, I've thought of it as like, like passive, and I don't know if this is okay to say, I don't know. I don't know. I've never said it out loud. Like passive suicide ideation of like, I did not care if I lived or died. I wasn't Mm -hmm. actively trying to die, but I did not care what happened. So I was so fucking reckless with everything that I did because I just didn't give a fuck. I did not care. I remember would like lay at night and I'd be like, if this ceiling fell on me, I don't care if I died. Or like if this plane crash that I'm sitting on I don't care. I don't care. And it was like, it's exhausting to like, think about that now. And now everything scares me. Cause like life is so precious. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> like, every little thing I'm like, I'm going to die. <laughs> like, I don't want, it's like the opposite now, but, um, but yeah, but, but alcohol felt like a control for me of like, I can, this is the one thing that I have that I can like manage, even though it then became unmanageable and, you know, completely did not do what I wanted it to do. And that's, well, first of all, I'm so honored that you shared that with me. I mean, that's, that's tough to deal with and then say out loud. And, um, and I, you are so not alone in that. And, you know, it's, it's, I don't remember the statistic, but I was just looking this up the other day. People that are in the LGBT plus community are like, we struggle with substance abuse more than, um, again, I don't know the statistics, but there is a very high percentage of us that are struggling because, um, we don't coming to terms with gender, coming to terms with sexuality. It's hard. It's really fucking hard. And we're we're not really given the tools now. It's now it's a conversation, but like when we were growing up, it wasn't, you know, part of the conversation. So that's huge. Like, that that's why th- these conversations about mental health are so important um, because you don't know who's listening to this right now that is feeling the same way. And also like with, um, you know, sobriety has taught me how about parallel addictions and like eating disorders in particular. Mm. Um, I recently learned that the trans community also struggles with um, eating disorders like a, on a, on a high percentage and no one's talking about it because the control, because that's, you know, one thing you can do to change your body, you have complete control of that. And the, and eating disorders are very common. Yeah. Um, yes, that is, that is resonant. Um, I remember, I think thinking back of like, um, I would like overeat and overeat and overeat and overeat because I wanted to change. I hated the way my body looked with breasts and like, well, and not 
blah for me. Wonderful for people who want breasts and have them and love them. Not for me. Um, but like I gained so much weight because I was like trying to hide them, but then they just got bigger and it was like a whole thing. But like, that's so resonant of like another control of like, well, if I, if they got to be there, I want to like hide them in other like parts of myself, I guess. Um, yeah. Well, and, and even like, you know, the, you know, quote, the gay bar is like a rite of passage for us. Right. Where it's like you turn 18 or you have a fake ID and you, you go to a gay bar and that's how you meet other queer people. Yeah. And like, that's it's, so it has to do with alcohol and poppers and Coke and weed and getting fucked up in order to, there's like, you're getting fucked up is then tied to your sexuality. And that Mm. is so, that is so damaging. And I didn't, you know, that's shit I'm still unpacking of, of, of how that affected me. Wow. Yeah. Just like, as you were saying that I was like, immediately transported back to this bar that my friends and I went to and it was like we it was just like the only gay bar that and or not the only one of the only gay bars in Columbus Ohio there were actually many but the one that we always went to and um yeah it was just so tied to that and I remember I remember there were so many so here's the thing like I only stopped drinking in June and that's during a pandemic. So like, I haven't had any kind of sober sex or, I mean, that's not true. I've been in long-term relationships <laughs> where like with a partner I've had sober sex, but like never like a random hookup or those like those moments of intimacy with partners all started under the influence. And then once we like were in a relationship, then it became sober. I've only had one sober first kiss and that was a few years ago. And by God, was that amazing? Oh, good. What was yeah. amazing about it? Um, because it was like, full, you're, I was fully present and it was like, there's nothing clouding this. There's no like question about anything. It was like fully... Uh, just, I don't know. I guess I don't have the, I don't know how to describe it, but like, um, it was think, indescribable. Yes, it was indescribable. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Um, just so it was so powerful to like connect with somebody without that screen, that haze, that like shield of alcohol. It just was like yeah. connection. And that's, I love that you had that experience and you know, so now we're getting into like my favorite conversation is sober sex. This is what I'm Mm. obsessed with. Um, because that, that right there, like, you know, same, I, you know, even, yeah, I was in long-term relationships and there was times that we slept together when we were quote sober, but there was alcohol was still ever present in our lives and in our relationships individually and with each other. So, you know, even if we went a couple of days without drinking, it's still in your system. And mm-hmm. it's like, it's an alcohol. It kills, it kills our sensitivity. Uh, you know, it's, you don't, it, the reason you, you liked blacking out was because you went to a totally different place. Right. So mm-hmm. that imagine what that's doing to our, our bodies, like even just physically, let's not, not even talking about like the mental impairment just physically like when you're blacking out you're not present at 
at all. And I know that was our goal Mm -hmm. (laughs) at at the time being, but then when you remove that and then you have sober sex or sober kissing, even holding hands was like, holy shit, this is, I felt like a fifth grader when I was sober and holding hands because it's, it was just so, it felt so deeply intimate, like that it, it was just holding hands and like making eye contact to me was more intimate than sex. And that showed me that, that I have some work to do, um, to deal with my shit. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to like, figure like do it all <laughs> you know what I mean like <laughs> I feel yeah. like a little kid that's like and then I think I think that like layered with starting testosterone of like really coming into myself even more of like what will that feel like so because then also too there's I mean there's so much so many layers to it of like using alcohol as a way to even socialize as a way to talk to people like will people think I'm funny if I'm not drunk and like where my inhibitions are down and I can like say the things that I think are funny, but if, would I say that sober? Cause like, I'm like self-checking everything. And I've really learned in these past, um, however many months since June, um, like, yeah, actually, like I can still interact with people and I can still like be funny. And I've like practiced say like not checking and just like saying the goofy thing that's coming to my mind. And, but I, I can't blame it on alcohol or I can't blame it on anything. (laughs) I can just, it's just like, okay, that was a dumb joke or like whatever it is. Um, but it's, it's such a, and and I was listening to an, uh, an episode of your podcast, um, and, uh, with Mac about her podcast. Um, and you all were talking about like the first 90 days being the hardest and like having to like relearn like everything, like even from like brushing hair to like everything. And I never thought about it, but that's totally what I've I've had to do over these past months is like relearn how to do every fucking thing. So and it's, <laughs> it's this beautiful, it's beautiful and terrifying, right? Yeah. Like it's, I remember an early sobriety. So my, my dad is also sober and I remember calling him and I was like, the birds seem louder and the trees, the trees seem greener. Like, is this normal? Mm. So my, my dad is a heavy metal musician. So he quoted spinal tap and he, he was like, yeah, it's like everything is turned to 11. Mm. And I was like, yes, that's it. Sobriety is like life turned to 11, but I wanted to go back to something you said a moment ago okay. um, about you know, that you were alluding to like the quote liquid courage that, you know, that it gave you. Mm -hmm. And I super relatable. I mean, we all experience that. And I think that sobriety is honestly the most courageous thing that someone Mm. can, can do. Um, because you're like, you are saying like, you know, you dubs, you're going, you know, when we can hang out again, you're going to a party or you're, you're going to do improv completely sober and like you're completely present and you're so raw and vulnerable and you're like putting yourself out there and you don't need that little bit of liquid courage to do it like Mm. like I think sober confidence is exponentially stronger than liquid courage wow I love that a lot um because I'm just I'm just thinking back to all of the moments of of drinking before certain interactions because of that fear and because of 
needing that liquid courage of like, I remember I even, my friend was having like a picnic birthday party in the park and I like went to the bar and took shots before it because I was like, I'm so, and and it was like so low key. No one was drinking. It was like, they were my friends. You know, it was like the lowest stakes ever. I wasn't performing. It just was people sitting on a blanket in a park and I was terrified to do it. And so I took shots before it Uh, or like, and yeah, like improv. I would sometimes and accidentally get too drunk before shows, which was like very unprofessional of me and not fair to my teammates or me or anybody. But like, so yeah, I'm like really interested to see because of course, and because this is a pandemic, I haven't really been tested. Like I've been tested a lot because of like everything that's going on in the world and just because life and whatever. But like, I haven't been invited to a party. You know, I haven't had to go to an improv show. And so I, that part actually gives me a lot of anxiety because I haven't had to do those things yet. And so I'm going to have to, it's like, it's almost like a, like a suspended reality of like, I'm just like in limbo waiting for, to like then be tested. I did fly though. And I've never flown sober before. Mm, wow. That okay. Was, how was that? That was fucking terrifying, oh. but incredible. Cause I did it. And like, you did it. I did it. And then, but then the whole, the whole time I was like, if this plane crashes, I'm going to, I'm going to die. This is going to be awful (laughs) instead of just getting hammered and passing out. And so that was like a very big difference. And it was really challenging. I was like sweating and, um, gripping like, and I was like, and thank God that like, because of the pandemic, the seats, no middle seats were sold. And so no one was next to me. So I could grab onto things. And it was like, I'm sure if someone was watching me, I was like sitting in my chair. No one can see me, but like, I'm, so I'm sitting in my chair, like back like this with my eyes shut and I'm like gripping and I'm like holding on to things. And I'm like, like every bump because I was terrified, but every other flight I've ever been on, I was so drunk that it just didn't matter. And so it was a really, but it also then showed me like, okay, if you can do that, like what else can you do? If that's true, what else is true? Yeah. Well, and the fact that you've had those first 90 days, it's almost like you're going to have a, you'll have it again. So Mm -hmm. it's like, you got your first 90 days in pandemic. And then when we can go to shows again, it's like, you'll have another first 90 days. So it'll be like your training wheels. (laughs) I, 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 (laughs) Uh, I guess there's like, there's pros and cons to, to everything. Um, um, Feel like there's so much more we should be talking should could can but what are shoulds um yeah don't should all over us I know right <laughs> um so I I know that you so you've written so you you have your podcast recovery rocks and you have um your blog sobriety like spelled like tea the beverage <laughs> um party um and so what what like inspires you and what drives you to put out all of these different ways that people can, cause you're putting yourself out there too. And so like, tell, just tell, tell me about all of that. Um, I, you know, my target audience is young me and I'm, you know, every time I'm writing or on a podcast or doing a speaking on a panel, I'm saying the things that I wish 20 something me heard that teenage, awkward teenage me heard. And that's, that's what keeps me going, you know, talking, just, just talking to people about sober sex, let's say, you know, 
people open up, you know, when you talk about something you're going through, people open up to you about it. And I've experienced that with sobriety and with sober sex so much. I mean, even people that are, that still drink alcohol are reaching out to me, talking to me about sober sex. Cause they're like, I don't want to stop drinking, but I do need a glass of wine before I can be intimate with my husband. Like I need to, that's something I need to address. And like, you know, it's just, it's the more you advocate for something, the more you see how much work still needs to be done Yeah, in it. And so, and I think, so I think that's what keeps me going, but it all, this whole thing started as a social experiment. I wanted to, you know, I didn't have a rock bottom, you know, I didn't have like a traditional rock bottom moment. I realized that I I was saying, I was telling myself, I don't have enough time to write, but I have enough time to drink. So I find it finally clicked in me. And I was like, all right, you're, tur- you're about to turn 30. Let's give up alcohol for a year, start a blog and just document it. It'll hold you accountable for sobriety and it'll hold you accountable for writing. It was just supposed to be a year long social experiment. That's it. And here we are um, five years later <laughs> and um, it, 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 uh, it worked. It was what I needed. I mean, it, sobriety helped me find my voice as a writer. You know, I knew I, I always knew I wanted to be a writer. Like I was writing for my local newspaper when I was 14, but I didn't know where my niche was. Um, and I never thought that I would be a sober New Yorker talking about the benefits of sober sex, but Mm -hmm. life, man, (laughs) you know, it just, it takes us on a wild ride. And I just, I want to, I want, like, you know, you, we both want to switch the narrative and break stigmas and let people know that it's okay to question your gender. It's okay to be attracted to different genders. It's okay to question your relationship with alcohol. Like, all of this is more than okay. And it's because we're in this work that people are starting to feel more okay with that. Yeah. Um, I love that you said your, your target audience is young you. Uh, <laughs> Cause that's, that's literally also me. Same. That's like why I do the work that I do is like literally exactly what you just said. And it's so empowering when I get messages or like emails or people approach me when in, that was a thing of like, oh my God, like, I didn't know that you could be trans and Jewish, or I didn't know that this word existed. And now I finally see my, like, I found a home, like, and like, I went through all of that. And I'm so, and I just, I, I always like wonder of like, what if I would have had a dubs when I was little? Like, what would my life have been like? And like, would I have spent 20 plus years of my life blacked out and, or, you know, like all of that. Um, so I love that. That's also why you do what you do. I think that's special. I'm just like picturing little you with a, with the big dubs and I'm <laughs> like, you're like, yeah. you're holding your own hand. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't that be sweet? Yeah. <laughs> Lots of weird jokes. <laughs> uh, um, so you, you said you didn't have a traditional rock bottom moment and um, I don't think I did either, but can you clarify what like that is when you say a traditional rock bottom moment? Like what actually is that? 
Yeah, it's, I hate to be so vague, but it's impossible to define really. But I will say what society and Hollywood portray a rock bottom as is someone who's, you know, lost it all down on their luck, lost everything because of their addiction. Mm -hmm. And that's what we think. That's what I told myself for 15 years. Well, I don't drink like them. So Mm. I don't have a problem or I'm still able to hold down three jobs and go to school. So I don't have a drinking problem. You know, I was all of these, like, I'm not one of those people. Yeah. So, but now I can look back and see one could argue that my whole life was a rock bottom. I was living, like you were saying, very recklessly and now in sobriety, we're very like delicate little flowers. Like what's in that, what is in that bread? But like, (laughs) but 10 years ago, I was, like I said, snorting Coke off of a public toilet seat. So it's, you know, (laughs) it changes you, but yeah, it's a, I think it's important to, to say that like, you know, you don't need to have like what Hollywood thinks a rock bottom is in order to question your relationship to alcohol. Yeah. I laughed very big, big when you said what's in that bread, because literally just <laughs> Friday I bought like non, yeah, uh, like pa- prepackaged non and I pull it out and like, I think there's like fuzzy mold on it. My roommate thinks it's a spice. <laughs> so I was like, if, if you don't mind. And so I like literally ripped off of all of both of our nons, all of the things that I thought was mold. And I was like, and, but if we die, we know it's because of this non. And like, <laughs> I, at least like probably five times a week, if like, if something tastes a little off or smells a little funny, I'm like, if I die, it's because of X, <laughs> Y, and Z. And so that was yeah. <laughs> Cause I am so hyper aware now. It's like, everything is up to 11. And I'm like, where's my doom? <laughs> um (laughs) where's my doom (laughs) um yeah so I I also have those same thoughts of like I don't drink like them like there was always that well I don't get drunk at work so I'm not Mm -hmm. I'm not an alcoholic or I don't have a substance abuse problem or like but then I was just thinking about it this morning in preparation for this I was like "Mm, I've canceled so many work things like the next day not not in this current job, Keshet, don't worry, but like in my old old jobs of like being so hungover, I like couldn't that that was actually rare, but um on the weekends, like I would miss things all of the time with friends or even something that was like at eight PM, I was still hungover as fuck. And I was like, I can't do this thing because I'm hungover, which is like how? And that was for me, like my hung my hangovers were like I would throw up like twice an hour for like 13 hours or like be have like the worst headache of my life every time. And my parents would be like, you are miserable. Why are you doing this to yourself? And I'm like, it's fun. I don't know. I didn't have a reason that I could tell them, but like, and I, so like, there was no way I could hide being hungover either. Cause like I'm a loud thrower upper and it was like constant and then, and then sometimes I get mad at my parents of like, if you saw me struggling with alcohol, this whole, like, where's the intervention? Where was the, like, I remember one time my mom was like, I think you have a drinking problem. And I was like, shut up. Or like, no, I don't. And like, that was the end of the conversation. 
And my mom was like, well, you said you didn't. I'm like, well, obviously I was lying to you because <laughs> oh, I didn't want to talk about it. Uh, sorry. I'm laughing at that, uh, that, that parental naivete of, you know, there's a, there's a sense of denial in there too, that they're like, well, my child can't be an alcoholic and it's, it, it affects everybody. It, I mean, it affects all, all of your relationships, whether you realize it or not, like you said, calling out, missing things at work. Mm-hmm. Um, I told myself I wasn't missing out on things, but I clearly was, I was calling out. I was, you know, also opportunity cost of, you know, stay, I stayed in a low paying job so as a, you know, well, a bartender, I was making fine money, but like, where do you go from there? Like, instead of focusing on college and getting a good job. And I instead partied and spent 10 years in college trying to figure out what I'm going to be when I grow up. And, you know, and then here, here come the shoulds again, where I'm like, oh, well, if I went, if I focused on school, I would have graduated at a normal age. And uh, then, you know, my writing career would be this far. And, but you can't, you can't do that. You can't, it's, you are where you are. Um, but it's just, uh, it's, it's a lot and it is a lot of personal work and it is so one day at a time. Yeah. And I was thinking too, as you were just saying that of like all of your, all of the, the, your projects, like all of the, all the things that you do are based on sobriety. And so if your writing career wouldn't be where your career, I I feel like there's no way to know, but like, that's what you write about. And so if there, you couldn't, it couldn't have worked and you hear I know, that it's weird. voice cracking, <laughs> but I, love uh, it. <laughs> um, I think about that too, with like, um, all of my work is like based around like advocating for the LGBTQ community. I'm like, if I wasn't trans, if I wasn't who I am, I would have nothing because <laughs> that's all that I do. And I'm sure like there would be something else, but I love everything that I do and I wouldn't trade it for the world. Okay. On that note, I have a question. Yeah. Do you think that since we like our generation and younger, we've become like, we can't just be a thing. It has to become like our job and our identity and essentially a quote brand. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I don't even know if this is a question, but like, I see us having some sort of like identity issues in the future of like, who am I outside of my work? Mm. Like my sobriety is completely tied to my career. And like most people don't, most people that are sober don't do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, I wonder, am I, am I going to have some sort of issue 10 years from now where my whole sobriety has been, it's like the Truman show, but I knew what I was, I was behind the narrative of yeah. here. This is me. This is my thing. I'm sober. Look at me. What's that going to be like in 10 years? So I'm, I'm wondering if, you know, if you think of anything, you know, have any of those kind of thoughts. Well, now <laughs> I'm, just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, I've definitely thought about that. Um, but I, for, for my own, like, like uh I I try not to focus on that because there's just no way to know like what the future is going to be and like but yeah absolutely it's like well if I don't have this then what what do I have and I try to focus on like gratitude for me of like well I'm alive and I have family 
and I have a roof over my head and I can feed myself. And, um, I'm like, so grateful for those things. And like, if I, if that's, if I wake up one morning and that's all I have, that's still so much more than other people have. And so I really try to like, think about it in that way. Otherwise I'll be like, what am I doing? What will I do? (laughs) Like constantly. But I do think that's the thing of like, becoming a brand and then it's everything. I just joined TikTok and I have no idea how to use it, but I'm like, this is just like one more thing that's like driving that brand that I'm like, what even Mm -hmm. is this? Yeah. So yeah, that's like a thing. I feel like we're going to, not we, you and me, but I can, I can see maybe, you know, in the future people checking themselves into rehabs for like social media detoxes and yeah. And, and things like that identity, I literal identity crises from mm. not being able to separate brand from self because there is this own element of addiction involved of the dopamine and the likes and the yeah. follows and the counts. And especially these like, God, these young girls that are having surgery to look like filters. And what? I just, is that a thing? That's a, I did not know that. Yes. It's a thing. People are having surgery to look, to have like their Instagram filters, like permanent contours. And it's really changing how people live their lives. So I'm just, I guess this is the journalist in me. That's really curious of where it's headed. Whoa. I mean, that all makes a lot of sense, especially like when you put it in like dopamine terms of like the high that you get when you get likes or follows or whatever it might be. Um, I like literally joined it on, uh, joined TikTok on Friday. And some of my videos have like over 1200 views, which I don't even know if that's good or not, but like, I don't know, that feels good, but (laughs) it already, I'm already addicted to it. Like I'm already like on it, like mindlessly scrolling, checking it every five seconds, not during our conversation, but otherwise. (laughs) And I even texted a friend. I was like, is this worth it? Cause it's just one more thing that I'm now, uh, now you, cause you, you even said earlier of this, uh, in, in this, um, parallel addictions, it's like, well, if I can't get high from alcohol, then I'm going to get high from social media. And then where will I be when, you know, like, so I think it's a really good question that's worth exploring more. Like, cause it, that feels like something, if you feel like you're onto something. I mean, I hope I'm not, but yeah, it, totally. <laughs> I hope so too, but, <laughs> but it's, it's really scary. Um, just to think of how much things have changed here in the couple of years with social media and, um, but you know, on the positive side, it's, you know, that's how you and I have connected and that's how mm-hmm. I met my podcast co-host. And there's a wonderful digital sober community, a wonderful digital LGBT community. And, you know, that's so great that these kids can, you know, look up hashtag sober or hashtag trans and see mm-hmm. all of this representation. Yeah, absolutely. That's what's so, that's so, what's so tricky about, I don't know if it's tricky, but just like thinking about social media and like the ways that we can connect are, there are so, so, so many negatives, but then there are so many positives that are with it too, that it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to hold both. That it both is. are true. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Um, I really liked the way that you said maybe your whole life was rock bottom. That I mean, that's so like um, descriptive and also just like 
eye-opening of like maybe that that kind of feels like how for me too of because I also didn't have the like quote unquote rock bottom I just woke up one morning and was like I cannot do this one more day I cannot do it I woke up so hungover on June 1st and was like I didn't even do anything yesterday I've been in my house in a pandemic I didn't even I wasn't even drinking with my roommate I was like what did I even fucking do nothing and I it just and that was all I needed. I just needed that one moment of clarity of like, I don't want to do this anymore. And then I stopped. And I find like, for me, sometimes when it comes to these like really big things, I was just talking about this in another, another episode of like, even if it's not, I'm not consciously aware that I'm like doing the work, but there's like a kitchen and there's always someone cooking. And then all of a sudden I'm served the dish of like, here's the thing. So like sobriety or like starting tea, like I struggled with that for years of like, do I want to go on tea? And then one day I was like, I'm going on tea. Like I had talked about it a little bit with other people. And then I was like, I'm just, I need to do this. I know I need to do this. And I'm going to deal with the like internalized transphobia as I'm doing it. Cause that was part of what was keeping me from doing it. Mm. Um, but I was just like, okay, I'm doing it now. And, and I, I don't know if you, are you, um, and if this is not okay to ask, please, um, tell me, is it okay to ask some people about like what tools or mechanisms they use to stay sober? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it's, there's, okay. So there's a school of thought of like the traditional AA 12 step where it's, there's the anonymity route where you don't talk about it. I'm clearly not on that route. (laughs) Right. So yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I, you know, I would say therapy has been my saving grace. I found a therapist about a year into sobriety. um, And I did, I tried AA. I tried a couple support groups. Um, I actually, what's, what works for me, there's the, it's a, another nonprofit um, road recovery. They are a nonprofit that helps um, kids, with substance abuse, um, and with, through music. And so it's like, mm. it's a really powerful organization and I've come on board as a mentor with them. And, um, you know, back when we could hang out, we would do, you know, the kids would jam but before that we would do a support group. And, um, I, you know, that was so beneficial for me because I was around, it was, it was intersectional, Like it wasn't just people with a drinking problem coming together. It was people with all sorts of issues that, and we're talking about it, you know, whether it's, um, you know, eating disorder or a cutter or sex addiction or drug addiction, it's substance abuse, whatever. We all came together because of the common connection of music and wanting to be better people. So that worked for me. So road recovery, if you're listening, donate money to road recovery because they're fucking amazing. Um, but like I mentioned earlier, how my sobriety was a little, um, it was a social experiment, right? So I didn't think I was like, quote, those people. So I didn't think I needed a support group. I didn't think I needed therapy. So it was very humbling for me to admit that like, I didn't think that taking a a year off of drinking meant I had a problem. It meant that I'm just going to do this thing. I'm a journalist. I'm just going to write about this and Mm -hmm. finding out that I had a, I I was like, Whoa, I have a drinking problem and I have 
undiagnosed mental health issues. And that was all very challenging to deal with. So I went backwards. (laughs) I did it very backwards. Um, So I always recommend if you're new to sobriety or even questioning it, like there's lots of great resources out there and don't not look into it because you don't think you look like or drink like what you think you should (laughs) again with should Mm -hmm. uh, look like before you get help. You know, there's podcasts, there's books, there's articles, there's tons of resources out there and yeah, check them out. Yeah. That's really helpful. Um, It's like, I, I feel like I'm in this, I don't know how to describe it, but like what, as you were saying that too, like I quit drinking and, and I, and my intention was for June, like just the month of June, like just reset, reset, reset. And, um, cause any other, any other time in this, in that whole span of 20 years of drinking, I couldn't, the only time, the longest I ever went without drinking was two weeks before my top surgery. Cause you weren't supposed to drink before that major of a surgery. And that was the longest other than that. I'd be like, I'm not going to drink every evening this week. And like, still didn't ever do that. Like I still would like, eh, well, fuck it. And like, would have a drink. Um, so I didn't actually like, I, so similar to what you just said of like, I didn't think I had a problem. And then as soon as I stopped and started reflecting, I was like, oh no, I absolutely had a problem. And I'm still, I'm still like internalizing that. Like sometimes I'll still have an epiphany of like, oh, you had a drinking problem. Like as if I didn't already know that for the past all, you know, I don't know if that, if you've ever experienced that. So it feels like a suspended reality of like, I'm still internalizing the fact and like coming to terms with, even though I'm talking about it openly, still coming to terms with like, of like really understanding the implications and the impact of having like a substance abuse issue. Yeah, that's, and it's so great that you are doing that work. You're, you're listening to yourself. You are having these uncomfortable conversations with yourself. I mean, while, while, you know, you started tea like a month later, that's like, like you said, these are two huge journeys that you've started. Um, And in a way it's, maybe it's a good thing that you're doing this during the pandemic because you're able to slow down and Mm -hmm. really, you know, tune in, dial, dial things back and give yourself that space to process all of these changes. Um, And it's, you know, I've been sober for a little over five years now, and there's still times that I'm like, whoa, I haven't drank in five years. Like that's, that's crazy to me. And I'll even like, I'll see a beer commercial and I'll be like, oh, that looks good. And I'm like, oh, I can't have that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's like, even it's, it, it's still, there's something that forgets in my mind. That's like, oh, that's this thing I can't do anymore. Mm-hmm. But there's so many other things I can do because I removed this unnecessary beverage from my life. Yeah. Well, it's really helpful to know that that's a, that's like an, uh, something that I'm not alone in thinking of like forgetting that I'm not drinking. Like sometimes I'll wake up from a nightmare where in the dream, I will forget that I'm so like, I'm not drinking anymore and then I'll get drunk. And then in the dream, wake up so pissed and upset and hurt at myself 
And then I'll wake up, wake up in real life. Be like, that was like a really terrible dream. And like, have to like check myself. Like, did I drink? And like, does that ever go away? (laughs) I, I, um, actually I've been having drinking dreams lately Mm. and it's, they're very scary. Like, like you're saying, it's, it's so jarring. Like I actually was in my one dream in particular, I, I was with my partner and I asked him in the dream, am I an asshole when I drink? And he was like, yeah. And I, it made me cry Mm. in my dream, which in turn made me cry in my sleep. And he woke me up like, what's going on? And I was, I was just started sobbing and I hugged him. And I was just like, I felt, I find those dreams to be very humbling because Mm. they're a reminder of how precious sobriety is. And, you know, it feels like, oh, I've got five years. I've got this. I'm good. There's still these moments that are really fucking hard. Life is really hard and I'm choosing to live it completely present. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. not like, we can't check out. I can't just like, you know, I wish I could have a glass of just one glass of wine and just, you know, like yeah. that sounds really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I can't do that. That's just something like, and I didn't even think about that either. The, I, the concept of I'm present all the fucking time and it's exhausting. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> um, I, uh, so I, like, I want to talk to you for a thousand more hours, but I'm trying to be mindful of time. But one more thing before I move us into our last like section is like, I don't know if you are a Brene Brown person. Yeah, of course. Um, I don't know. Some people might not be, but I, I love the, she's also sober and, um, but, and also talks about the idea of you can't numb just the bad when you're numbing the bad, you're also numbing the good. Um, and that I never thought of it that way, but it's like, but I think that also like highlights what you and your dad were talking about, like living life to 11 of like, well, yeah, because now that you're not numbing the bad, you're feeling everything like exponentially. Um, and it, and then it also, it also, um, we didn't get to it in this, but I just want to plant a seed for maybe I'll have you back. Cause I would love that of, of the, of, you were talking about like, so the sobriety being so precious and like relapsing and like, what's, what that, how that would be and how that would feel if that were to happen. I'm just thinking about Dax Shepard, um, mm-hmm. who was sober for, I forget how many years it was. I think maybe like 12 or something. Yeah. It was, a, it was a long time. And then, um, opened up on his podcast, armchair expert of he actually relapsed and like how it got to be how it got to be. And like, because life is fucking hard and like, it's a slippery slope and it's just, that's, that I feel like that's a whole nother episode for us to dive into, but. No, you're right. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up and we can definitely chat about that another time, but it's, you know, that's why we say one day at a time because sobriety is so precious and life is so fucking hard you know, just the thought of saying, I'm never going to drink again. I still don't say that. That's too scary for me to say. It's just, I'm not drinking today, probably not going to drink tomorrow. And that that's all you can really do. Yeah. I think I, I really believe, like, I believe in that one day at a time. Um, I, besides, besides therapy, I'm not like in any groups or in any kind of anything. Um, and it's not, I, I have nothing against 
any anything i think if it helps you it helps you um but that idea of like one day at a time is really helpful because same for me of like i'm never drinking again ever like i fast forward to like if if, if when i get married or like all or like if when i i like live through a loss of of is inevitably will lose people in my life or anything that's hard i'm like and i can't drink through it but that's how i've always dealt with things but then mm-hmm. I think back on 2020, even just the last fucking six months of 2020 and the first month of fucking 2021, I did that sober and like, am and like thrilled with myself of like, whoa, you did that. And that was like all really fucking hard. And you did it yeah. and you're, and you're not going to drink today and you're probably not going to drink tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. What a note to move us to our lightning round, (laughs) (laughs) which is so before in the first two seasons, I had either or questions and was gently called in of how binary that is. So I'm breaking out of the binary and I have different kinds of open ended questions. Um, Still encourage you to answer as quickly as possible. Um, So name your crayon crayon. Apparently I say it weird crayon. (laughs) My crayon. (sighs) Um, magenta. Nice. Like my lipstick. Cool. Yeah. Um, favorite time of day. Oh, I'm an annoying morning person. Like give me the sun, give me a cup of coffee. I'll, I'll annoy the shit out of you. (laughs) Uh, Favorite current queer media representation. Oh, um, Okay, first thing that came to mind is Daryl from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Mm, um, nice. Have you have you watched that show? I watched the first like season and a half. So well, I know he is a he's a bisexual icon, aka a bicon, and his song "Getting By," "Getting Bi," is an anthem of mine. So I'm gonna go with Daryl. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, what is a song that makes your heart soar? Um free will by rush the the, one of my favorite quotes that i live by um if you choose not to decide you still have made a choice nice and you jumped ahead because one of my next questions was favorite quote i don't know if that's a favorite quote but it's it's definitely yeah that's uh i pretty much live my life by that i love that um quick thing about rush i never knew rush existed until the movie i love you man yeah. And then I thought, I thought it was a made up band. Oh <laughs> so my gosh. Then, so then I looked it up. I was like, I am so wrong. <laughs> um, favorite way to travel. You mean like mode of transportation? However you interpret it. <laughs> you know, I will say I love living in New York city and traveling by subway because I hate driving and mm. I get way more done on the subway. Nice. Um, and then I did have to keep one binary because of bagels or donuts. Oh, bagels, a hundred percent. Like I don't love donuts and people think that like, that makes me a terrible person, but like, I, I'll have like one donut a year and I'm good, but I need, I need bagels on a regular basis. And I am also Jewish. So I feel like you probably relate to bagels. Absolutely. My answer is always bagels and I'm flabbergasted <laughs> yeah. that anyone picked donuts yes bagels like I will have bagels for breakfast lunch and dinner everything bagel please yeah uh when and when pizza's on a bagel you can have pizza anytime. Ooh. Ayo. <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh 
Um, this was so, so incredible. Thank you so much for being here. Um, this was, this was awesome. Thank you for having me and for, you know, creating the space to have a very vulnerable conversation about sobriety. I think it's gonna, you know, you never know who's listening and who's going to seek solace in that. Yeah. Thank you for coming out. Thank you for coming out. Hey everyone. It's your host, Dubs Weinblatt. Thank you so much for listening with an open heart and an open mind. If you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, please do so so you don't miss an episode. And don't forget to rate and review us. It really helps. And we want to hear from you. We want to know your coming out story. Head on over to Thank You For Coming Out's Instagram page, at Thank You For Coming Out, and click the link in our bio. There's a form there where you can submit your coming out story, either anonymously or with your name. And you could have the chance to hear your story read out on the Thank You For Coming Out podcast. We're so happy that you're part of our community, and we want you to know that your story matters. Thank you for coming out.